starting now. Morning, Dawn. Good morning, Barbara. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is the May show, and obviously it's that time of year, spring cleaning. So today's show is about decluttering your environment. Um, something Barbara calls me the queen at, uh, so I absolutely love decluttering. So this show is about uh, cleaning your mind, freeing up that creative space for creativity, and just some headspace so you can think and do things. So when we look at the wheel, uh, as you know, we have the, the tool, the Wheel of Life, on our website. This covers a multitude of things. In fact, Barbara and I have probably got a little bit carried away here, haven't we? We've got the inside, which is your mind, body, spirit, outside, your rooms, your study, bedroom, etc. Home, garden, shed is obviously a big dumping ground for a lot of people. For us, it's the, the barn and other people, it's the attic. And then there's the office space every day. You know, we've got the desk, files. The amount of space that we've got determines how much clutter we've got. The more we've got, the more we fill it. And then, of course, there's the relationships. Uh, personal and professional, paperwork, admin. Now, for me, I don't know about you, Barbara, but my car was always my dumping ground. So keeping the car decluttered is always a constant chore for me. Uh, then there's family, uh, relationships, childhood home, moving. Um, you know, every time you move, you've got a massive decluttering to do. Then, of course, there's the inheritance issues of decluttering, perhaps, a parent's home. And interestingly, decluttering friends occasionally. So if a client uh, has lost weight, they've quite often been surprised that they've had to declutter their friends who are no longer on their side uh, and wanting them to you know, be good and, and keep on track. So there's a whole host of issues when we declutter. What are we going to focus on today? Anything in particular? What comes to mind, Barbara? Well, Dawn, as you rightly said, I do call you the queen of decluttering. Mm -hmm. And I know a few years ago you actually looked at the home you're in now mm -hmm. and you thought about it and you looked at it and you made the decision that you needed to declutter. And I, I sometimes think you buy things just to declutter them. <laughs> but I know that even on that front, you've, you know, you've got a huge amounts better. You don't just buy now like obviously we can and we can do without thinking sometimes. And um, I was actually wondering, once you'd decluttered your whole house, um, and I know that you're decluttering yet again, but I wondered if once you decluttered your whole house and you walk around it, how you actually now feel? Well, I think, I mean, I have a very specific routine now, um, but previously when I would have a major declutter, I think the key thing is it's liberating because even when you've, put stuff away. For us, Barbara, we live in the countryside, so we put stuff in the barns. Um, for other people, it's in the attics and, and cupboards. And what I've realized is, unless you actually declutter properly and get rid of it, so you recycle it, you give it away to family and friends, you put it in charity bags, etc., etc. as long as it's still on your property, it's not really decluttering. Uh, so you actually have to get it not just out of sight and out of mind, but gone. 
And then, to my mind, that is real decluttering, and that is very, very liberating. So I love it. I mean, so much so, I have a, a system now whereby literally every day I'm decluttering something, a drawer, a cupboard, um, and I get really quite disappointed because I've got hardly anything to recycle, give away, etc. Uh, so yeah, I, I find it fun. I just love doing it, and friends, you know, quite often say to me, I wish you'd come round and help me declutter, but I, they don't really because I'm actually quite ruthless. <laughs> they hate it if I actually did it. But you know, that's an that's an interesting point because one of my clients actually set up a coaching business like that, and. Yeah, it's actually it's actually an interesting point, and I know it's something you know we would recommend, um, and we'll talk about it a, a little bit in more detail later. But I mean, she goes round to people's homes, often ladies, and often it's to do with their wardrobes. And being a coach, it's really hard for her to say, "We'll actually get rid of it." But she's come yeah. up with a range of fantastic coaching questions that make people think about. You know, if I'm looking at the wardrobe, absolutely every single item of clothing that's in that wardrobe. Uh, and she's actually got an interesting rule because she says that once somebody takes that art, that article, so say it's a jacket, um, and say that, that whatever question she's asked around that jacket, the, the agreement is from the client's perspective that it's going to be decluttered. She takes the jacket and she walks out of the room with it and she puts it somewhere where the client can't see it. Then she comes back in and they start on the next article. And then as the coach, she's the one who takes all those decluttered items of clothing out of that house. Because she said if she doesn't, you know, one of the biggest challenges you have, and I know this from my own personal experience, you think, oh, no, I'm going to declutter that, I'm going to recycle that, I'm going to send that, you know, wherever. I'm going to get rid of that that article of clothing. You look at it again for the second time and you think, oh, maybe I'll keep it. And it goes, sneaks back into the wardrobe. Or what my husband does when I give him the bag to go to the uh, the recycling, the clothes bank, is he sees that I put stuff in. He's always going mad. He says, you, I'm going to go through your wardrobes and do what you do to my wardrobes. I know what needs to be and he comes back with half of the half of the stuff. He says, I'm not ready to throw this away. So I now do all that sort of thing myself. So he doesn't know what I've done. And because he never misses it. That is the funny thing. I throw away so much of his stuff and he doesn't miss it. But if he goes to the uh, the clothes bank, uh, then he says, Oh, I have worn that jumper for ages. I'll keep that. <laughs> I have that for the garden. But you see that that actually that as well. But I think it's just a man thing. Men are reluctant to, more reluctant, I think, sometimes to pass things on. Well, actually, I, I, I'm going to challenge you on that because I don't think that's true. I think the problem yeah. is that that you look at something and you know if it was like an, I, I mean, I remember doing this with an evening dress, um, and I had had a an evening dress made for a black tie dinner. And it was fabulous and it brought back such happy memories and, you know, so many happy moments um, mm. every time I wore it. And, of course, those moments come back to you and you think, oh, you know, get invited to another black tie dinner. Yeah, I could wear that again. So it sneaks back in. Um, yeah. And that's where this client of mine was clever because she never let the client see those articles again. Decision made out of sight. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's quite key. That's quite key. And I think the two reasons why people need help with this is because 
they're so attached. You know, that black dress or whatever colour was, I don't know if I imagined you said it was black, but that dress had memories. Yeah. Um, so there's an attachment to it. But the other reason I find clients are reluctant to declutter is because they are hanging on to the price of what they paid for it. So if they think that, well, you know, they wore it twice, divide that by the cost, you know, how many times do they have to wear it to have had their money's worth? And so on. So sometimes it's the cost. Even, you know, a suit that is wildly out of fashion, people hang on to it because it was such an expensive investment at the time. Exactly. So attachment cost uh, are quite often two things that sabotage people from having a, a good declutter. But we are moving into a throwaway society. Well, that you know, that's actually the biggest challenge because I can remember, you know, growing up in a third world country like I did, growing up in Malawi, nothing got thrown out. Everything yeah. got reused. And yeah. I can remember at one point somebody telling me that um, every Land Rover in the country was a combination of other Land Rovers <laughs> because as one had sort of broken down, you know, nothing got thrown away. It never got dumped. This thing got taken apart, the panels, the lights, you name it. It got taken apart, bits got repaired, whatever, and, and all those parts got used somewhere else. And, you know, I can remember coming to the UK uh, in, in the early mid-80s and rent, renting accommodation and something breaking down in that rented accommodation and the landlord coming in and saying, that's okay, I'll buy a new one, I'll replace it, we'll get this one taken out. And I can remember my brain going, what? Not repaired? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. surely it's got years in it because it's probably just a little chip or it's mm -hmm. a little something that's that's gone yeah. wrong. So you're right, Dawn, the, the challenge is we're in a th throwaway um, world. Yeah. And, people and there's a great movie that demonstrates that. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but it's well worth seeing. It's called The Story of Stuff. It's a free online movie. And when I did my permaculture course a few years ago, uh, we watched it. And it was really interesting how, yeah, we were a throwaway society, but actually things like white goods in particular are made to have a usability life. So, for instance, washing machines are notoriously packing up within five years. That's the way that they're made. So that we keep people in jobs, we keep the economy going, the money circulating, and we go and buy another one. So the fact that rather than have a man come to the house, I'm being sexist there, but it's normally a man, a man come to the house to fix the drum or whatever, uh, it's so prohibitive, it's cheaper to go and buy a new one. So those things sort of conspire against us for people you know, who want to go back to the old ways of repairing stuff. I, I Just a simple point in case, I had some 90s uh, that I wanted to freshen up. I went to buy some lace. I thought, the lace costs more than the 90s. Yep. And I was talking about repairing stuff, and the lady in the haberdashery said, people don't repair things anymore. Nothing. It's just cheaper to throw things away. So washing machines in those 90s kind of really brought home to the fact that, you know, what they're saying in that movie, the story of stuff, is so true. It's a sign of affluence. It's only when you're poor or, or you're uh, eco-minded that you're determined or have to start fixing things. But that's not what we're programmed to do anymore, Barbara. 
But you see, I think you've also hit on another point there, Dawn, though, that if you think about it, I mean, the costs of repair start with mm. the cost of that man or lady, whoever that may be, um, yeah. walking out of their front door. And I mean, you know, we say here in France, where we are, it's 60 euros before they've even arrived. Yeah. So, you know, if something breaks down and somebody has to come to the house, you know it's going to cost you 60 euros before it costs you anything else. And by the time they've gone and they've they've gone away and they've done the order the spare part or whatever it is and they've come back, you are looking at the price of a brand new one or even more. Mm-hmm. So the cost of repair versus the cost of purchasing a new one, of course, with mm-hmm. all the competition, the cost of purchasing the new one is kept down. Mm-hmm. When you go and look at the third world countries, the cost of that new one is exorbitant because they've paid import duties on it. They've paid taxes on it. You know, so it's probably maybe twice, maybe three times the price you'd see in Europe in a third world country. So repair then becomes, and of course, labor in a third world country is a lot cheaper. So, of course, repair then becomes the cheaper option, not the expensive option. So, So to some extent, you know, the way our economy is with all these sales and competitions, you know, to keep the price of new product down, plus the price of labor being what it is today, makes it expensive. But if I'm looking at decluttering, I mean, one of the other challenges you've got, and I know that we had this recently, up uh, up until fairly recently in, in France, is where do you recycle? You know, mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of places, you know, the UK, you can go to any supermarket, there's recycling bins for all sorts of things. You don't have that in France. Um, And it's only just coming in here now. I mean, it's only in the last six months that we've actually had recycling bins for clothes. Mm. I think that's that's a regional thing, Barbara, because we've been here 11 years Mm. and we've always commented on how brilliant the French are at recycling. You know, we've had clothes banks, shoe banks. We've got recycling for light bulbs, batteries, wasted kitchen oil. Everything. I mean, their dechettery yeah. systems are fantastic, far superior to the English. And yet here, where we are in, in you know, as you say, in, yeah. in um, central France, yeah. a, a lot of that's coming in. Why? Because we're in more of a farming community where, to be honest, Dawn, a lot of this stuff is reused. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it's a different sort of, even though we're both in France, it, to some extent, it's a different thought culture because when I look at the farms around us, which are, let me tell you, really, really tidy, neat farms, very, very impressive, mm. um, you don't see you know, old things lying around, but you see them being taken apart to reuse or to reuse part of them. Yeah. So maybe it's also because of the requirement because to some extent, you know, things are recycled here, but not in in the decluttering way that we're talking about and this is not a show about recycling which we could really get into in a big way Um, we did say that we would actually talk about decluttering yeah decluttering is an art form and if I was in the UK I would I would definitely have that as part of one of my niche markets because I love it Um, Mm. and I'd love to go into people's homes and help them even decluttering kitchen cupboards you know, when you yeah. see that hoarding program, which is indicative of how popular um, decluttering is becoming, but also indicative of how difficult people find it. 
to let stuff go. Um, well, it so, is. I mean, as you said before, though, it, to some extent it's attachment and to some extent it's cost. It's like, well, I've paid for that. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, you talk about kitchens. Well, it's great because crockery changes and fashions in crockery change. So you might buy, you know, pink and purple this year and mm -hmm. in two years' time, oranges and blues are in. So instead mm -hmm. of having something that will, you know, have a longevity, we want to change with the fashions. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it's a challenge. What do you do with the old one? Oh, well, it just sits in the back of the cupboard. Yeah, yeah. No, you give it to somebody else. I mean, this is the, the interesting thing with the popularity of the tiny house movement. I know we both like this. Yeah. Um, and the innovative uh, way people find of downsizing. But, you know, when people have their ordinary three-bedroomed, two-reception, whatever type house, and then they're downsizing to a tiny house. Yeah. That is really quite impressive what they go through, isn't it? Well, it, it, it is. I mean, I know that I've had to do this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I moved out of a, a three-bedroom house in the UK into a one-bedroom house in Madeira. Mm -hmm. And I can remember standing there, you know, asking the guy how much the container would cost to take the stuff with us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he sort of gave me a price and said this would be more than a container. So my initial goal was to bring it down to be less than a container so that I wasn't yeah. paying for stuff I didn't need. And when you walk around the house, and I mean, my ex-husband and I had actually put two houses together, which had made it even worse. You know, yeah. we did have two dinner services because I'd had one and he'd had one. Yeah. Um, and we did have, oh, don't even ask me how many sets of pots and pans because he'd had one, I'd had one. My brother had emigrated and I'd ended up with some of theirs. Um, which they'd left behind, you know, so it was like loads of stuff. And, of course, because you've got a cupboard, it goes in there and the door gets shut and you don't worry about it. Mm. And, you know, we had to go through this on a practical level because the other challenge that we had is, yes, we were downsizing. And, yes, we could have just dumped everything and gone and bought new when we got there. But actually mm. that was more expensive than taking what we owned in a container yeah. over there. So we, we got practical as in what was the house, what was the size, what did we need. Um, we had a um, an old uh, winemaking barn shed thing, um, which we were going to also convert into office space. So, of course, we took furniture for that as well. Um, but, you know, even when we got there, we had too much because in our minds – We'd visualised the house, but of course we'd never gone round the house with mm. a tape measure, knowing the size of all the furniture we already had. Mm. And actually, that's something I would say to somebody. You know, if you are moving into a smaller house, and you look at the furniture you've got, walk around with a with a notepad. You know, measure the dimensions of that chair, and take mm. those measurements with you to the new house. Mm. And if you can't get it in, declutter mm. it. Yeah. You know, don't 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 take it with you because that was actually one of the biggest mistakes we made is we we didn't do that. Mm. Um and we did end up with with more mm. than we needed. Well, you know what Confucius says? Simplicity of life. Life is really simple, but we just have a habit of keep making it difficult and complicated, don't we? Well, we I think we do. And I think um you know, personally I actually think sometimes it's the TV ads that are the to blame and the magazine ads. 
Yeah. Because you see something and you think I'd like that and you go and buy it. Yeah. And then you've got two and you've got three. And, mm. you know, I think one of the things that you say, Dawn, which I know is one of your personal rules, mm. is if it's not used in a 12-month period, give it away to somebody who will use it. Yeah. But I actually think if you want to buy something new, you've got to give away the old first. Yeah. So I know that you've just swapped over your um, lounge suite and yeah. you got rid of the old one before the new one arrived. Mm -hmm. But yeah. a lot of people wouldn't do that. A lot of people would keep the old and the new and then try and fit them in. Yeah, I mean, we had um, a beautiful seven-piece suite, but... I, my taste had changed. We'd had our value. We'd had it 20 years. It'd been very expensive. And I would have loved to have got rid of it. And in fact, that was a good lesson for me, actually, because we had spent so much money on it. Um, I wanted it to last a lifetime. But then, as you move through your life, I got sick and tired of it, and I wanted to give it away. And so we gave some of the sofas to um, the charity shop, and we gave the chairs and the buffet to a young couple just setting up home. But um, when it was gone, and this, we, we, you know, we both live in French farmhouses, so they're typically quite big. Uh, the room was just vast. And I was very tempted, Barbara, to say to Robert, no, we won't, have, we won't fill it with another sofa. Uh, let's just enjoy the space. If anything, I wanted to buy a pool table, but, you know, that's boring. Um, so, yeah, get rid of stuff, and that will help you make your mind up as to what you really want, what the size can take, etc. cetera. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, I had another fabulous experience, and this is going back 10 or 11 years now. My brother first moved to Australia, and... They'd been there for a while and they managed to buy their own their own home and they bought it in an area where there were schools for the kids and all that stuff. And we went out <laughs> for Christmas and we, we'd gone away. We'd done some traveling with all of us, the six of us, and that was great and we'd had fun and we came back. And Australia's really known for its fires. And the mm -hmm. house they'd bought was one street away from a nas national park, national forest, which very sadly that year got... Uh, you know was on fire um and it was it was arsons uh, you know arsonists who who'd started something off down by the river and of course it was coming up towards the the properties and one of my brother's friends that he'd bought he he'd met you know since arriving there owned mm -hmm. uh, um was was part of the fire brigade mm -hmm. and my brother and a friend of his had bought a boat and this guy from the fire brigade came round to the house. Now, you have to bear in mind, they'd moved out of a five-bedroom house in, you know, on the south coast of the UK into a three-bedroom house in Australia. They'd taken a container and a half of stuff with them, two mm. kids as well. So, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, normal sort of stuff. It was all the toys and all the bits and all the everything with them. And... Um, they had a lot of paperwork, you know, a lot of really, really mandatory paperwork, not just their passports, but their immigration papers, their citizenship papers, all of that stuff. And this guy came around the house and he said to my brother, what can you afford to lose? And my brother looked at him and said, I can't afford to lose anything. He said, what are you insured for? And he said, well, the house and the contents. He said, OK, what can you afford not to lose? 
And I looked at my brother because he and I have emigrated a few times um, in our lives. And I said, what about your paperwork? Mm -hmm. And then my sister-in-law came in and she said, what about the negatives for the photographs? Mm -hmm. The photographs aren't important. The negatives are because you can always reprint them. And we actually went round this house and, you know, even it, it was actually quite an interesting experience for all of us because even on Christmas Day, we couldn't go outside because of the smoke. The smoke was so intense. And here we are in, in the middle of summer, you know, in Australia on what should have been a beautiful day, everybody outside. And we're all basically locked inside. Um, two young kids. So we did all the Christmas stuff. And then we started to walk around the house and we went through every single room. And we found negatives, we found passports, driving licenses, all the stuff that you think, you know, you can't really afford to lose. And we started putting it together in a filing cabinet, which, which meant that if we'd had to leave the house, you know, we'd had to walk out because the fire was coming too close. We could go to that one drawer in the filing cabinet. You could take the yeah. negatives. You could take the paperwork. You could take the, the emigration paperwork. You could pick up the passports. And my brother then started being very technically clever, doing um, a, a second backup of everything. So because we moved into the digital world, obviously photographs aren't on negatives now. They're on you know, digital things. A lot of people leave them sitting on their PCs. And he started doing a second backup. And as soon as the disc got filled, it got put in this drawer, which meant that, you know, if that happened, literally everything in this drawer, and, and we actually made the decision, it was really sad. We made the decision to restrict it to a single drawer. Yeah. Then, of course, the kids being young, they were uh, seven and, and four, Heard, overheard our conversation and started bringing their toys down to be put in this drawer because they couldn't afford to lose them. So we had to have a conversation with them. If mum and dad say, we have to go now, what one thing do you pick up? Yeah. Um, and it, it was actually quite interesting because as we were walking around this house, you know, container and a half full of stuff arriving, um, my sister-in-law sort of laid it out beautifully in the house. And she said to me, I'd be sorry to lose that table. And it was hand -car hand carved table that she'd bought when she'd gone on a honeymoon into, into Central Africa and things like that. Um, so we photographed things and we started to photograph them in infinite detail mm -hmm. so that if they, you know, did go in the house, because you can't walk suddenly, you know, pick up a table and walk out with it. Mm -hmm. She had the photography that she could get it recreated. Mm -hmm. And it was it was really interesting because as much as, yes, you've got an attachment to that piece of furniture, as she was talking about at the time, it's the memories that are attached to it that are important. And what she was trying to capture was the memories. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, so so it, it was it was a really interesting thing because, you know, people those houses burn down and they burn down quickly and people are left with nothing. And it's sad, very, very sad, because memories go, you know, that piece of whatever it was that brings that memory back to you goes. Mm -hmm. And she took on a, a my sister-in-law took on a completely different um, approach to it. And she actually said, as long as I've got the photographic evidence of whatever it was, I can bring that memory back. Yeah. And if... 
Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, and, and she said that, you know, if I wanted to recreate that memory, whatever, yeah. I could do so because yeah. I could actually go to a really good carpenter and say, you know, that's the wood that was used. That's the detail. Please, can you cre recreate me one? Mm. Um, thankfully, I mean, we were in a position, I mean, it was a, it's a long story, but we had hose pipes ready to, to water the house down and all sorts of things that we were given advice to do. Um, and, you know, thankfully nothing happened and we were, the fire was uh, deviated away from this whole village um, and nobody's, nobody's property got damaged. But, I mean, it was a real eye-opener as to what do you do. And moving here um, to France, we've actually done the same thing. We have everything in one place that if something ever happened to this property heaven help you know heaven forbid it does but if it ever did i could go to one room pick up four files and walk out mm. and you actually have everything you need to have and well, i say I need to have well <laughs> sorry i hope that i hope that f stick i sent you uh <laughs> all my details are in that because that's it is, it is. That we talked about doing that you know, photograph everything, catalogue everything, and um, I put everything on an F-stick, and I've sent it to Barbara for safekeeping, because obviously what happens if your house burns down, you're going to lose everything. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's no point in having certificates and all the rest of it safely stored somewhere if it all burns down. So I've actually photographed everything and sent it to Barbara. But I would, when I just interrupted you earlier, um, I was just going to say, of course, it doesn't have to be a fire, does it, Barbara? It can no. be a burglary. It can be anything. You know, we just went through this with my parents end of last last year uh, when they were away for the winter and came back and found the house had been burgled. Um, and interestingly, Henry uh, Thoreau says, you know, having stuff is a real spiritual burden. Uh, and he, he, he very much is the advocate of simplicity, which is... Um, you know, key to non-materialism, etc. But it's completely changed things for them, Barbara, because although they had their jewellery and all sorts of stuff taken, they don't want to replace it. Yeah. Because the memories have gone. They could have, uh, and certainly some of my father's um, military stuff, they could have it uh, remade. But they chose not to because they didn't want that spiritual burden of owning something, having to look after it, having yeah. to ensure it. it's gone. But they've taken a much more simplistic approach um, and said, you know, let's, let's move on. But only because they were forced to through a burglary. So all sorts of horrible things happen to people. But interestingly, a lot of people actually say it's very liberating. Start on. Well, well, it is. I mean, I, I know um, people who've emigrated, you know, cr across the world who've left everything behind. They've picked up in this day and age of the digital world, they've picked up their computer, they've got their photographs, they've got their paperwork with them. They've got um, a 20 kg suitcase of clothing yeah. and they've walked away from everything. I mean, one of my closest friends did that two years ago. She left everything in the UK with the exception of 20 kgs worth of clothes, which she took with her in her suitcase, mm -hmm. uh, and her laptop, which had all the photographs she wanted on it, um, you know, her certificates, all the stuff, she scanned it all in or got 
PDF copies of it or whatever else. And she walked away from it. And when she moved into her first flat, and let me tell you, she's gone from, you know, living in Europe to living in the Far East. So completely different lifestyle. And when she moved into her first flat, I said to her, what are you going to do? She said, well, it's basically furnished, but there's no pictures on the wall and there's no this and there's no that. And I said, how much are you going to collect? Mm. Um, and I said, what happens if, you know, this contract comes to an end and you want to move to another country and all those wonderful questions? So three weeks ago, she moved flat. So I said, how difficult was, was it for you to move? She said, I learned the lesson. She said, I've bought, uh, I've still got 20 kgs worth of clothes because as I bought something new, I got rid of something. So she said, all my clothes still went in my suitcase. She said, I've got a laptop, obviously, um, mobile phone, obviously, as we all have these days. And she said, Everything else fitted into the passenger seat of a taxi, not even the boot. She said the boot was too big. And she said, really, your question about, you know, if you move again made me think about what do I need around me? And she needed some pictures on the wall because she needed a bit of personal, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's actually downsized, moving out of a two bedroom flat into a one bedroom flat. Uh, more of a studio flat um, and she said what she's got fits perfectly so we can do it but we have to often we have to have a reason to declutter well I, I really appreciate this when I'm in the camper van as you know sometimes we go off in the camper van twice we've been away for seven weeks and you think how can you live in such a small space with only two of everything or you know, two two mugs, two plates, and four pairs of trousers, and all the rest of it. But it is very liberating, and it's a little bit of a shock, actually, when you come back home to all your stuff that you never missed, didn't need, had forgotten, uh, and you realize, you know, that it doesn't actually add a great deal. It, it adds temporary happiness when you're buying it. But I've come to the philosophy that actually shopping is a bit like comfort eating. Um, you know, for a lot of people who are unhappy, um, and there are scientific uh, studies now to say there is a strong link between low self-esteem and materialism. So the more you're unhappy, the more depressed you are, or whatever those blue-type feelings are, what do we call it in England? We call it retail therapy. Uh, It's not therapy because for a lot of people, they haven't got this money to spend in the first place. They're buying stuff they don't need. I know when my um, my uncle and his uh, his wife split up, he was really shocked to find she was a shopaholic. The wardrobe was packed full of stuff that still had the labels on that weren't even her size because she'd always battled with her weight. So yeah. she'd been buying clothes that one day she would fit into, buying clothes that were a bargain. Of course, they're not a bargain unless you actually need them. Yeah. It's just a way getting people to part with their money. So so there is definitely a link between uh, how we're feeling, particularly low self-esteem, and the amount of um, materialistic uh, behaviors that we have, whether it's buying food to come to eat or whether it's buying shoes to make us feel good. These things only last not even a couple of hours. You know, once you've worn that dress or that shoes and you put it in the cupboard, what, where, where's the happiness? It's gone. It's forgotten. You're searching for something else. We've got to learn, Barbara, that happiness 
comes from having more time to create experiences and that creates memories which a fire, a burglary, etc. can never take away. Well, that, I mean, that's true because even, you know, my parents left Central Africa and went to Australia and the only boxes that didn't arrive were their photographs, interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, in some ways it's sad because we'd been collecting old family photographs back to the 1800s and things like that and some of those have gone, some of them have, have disappeared and some of them had been scanned in because they'd been sent to my brother and I and obviously that was that was great. But you know, Albert Einstein has a fantastic quote and he says the three rules of work, out of clutter you find simplicity, from discord you find harmony, in the middle mm -hmm. of difficulty lies opportunity. So if we think about it, as we declutter, we simplify. Mm -hmm. Clutter brings discord because actually you may not be happy or why can't you find something that you know you've got because it's in the middle of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it becomes more, uh, there's a lot more harmony when you can just go to a wardrobe, pick up what you want and walk away. Yeah. And then, of course, there's in the middle of difficulty. I mean, you know, is clutter difficult? Well, yes, I would say it was because you can never really find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Lies opportunity. And, you know, with opportunity lies creativity. And we often don't think about it. But the more you have cluttered around you that you are not really feeling that you can just put your hand on what you want, the less you're allowing your mind to open up to creativity. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's not only decluttering your physical space, it's decluttering your spiritual space too. It's decluttering your mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's true. Yeah. Our, our meditation teacher said that last month to us that, um, you know, just because you put something away in a cupboard or an attic, if I ask you to visualize it, you can tell me exactly what it is, the colour it is, where it is, that's not decluttering because it's you're carrying it around in your mind even yeah. though it's in a cupboard somewhere. So the more rent you give in your head for stuff like that, the less space you've got for creativity. I mean, some people call it organised chaos. They know exactly where everything is. Um, my husband, uh, Robert, is you know somebody who frequently stuff disappears into this mysterious black hole that he has uh, of paperwork. Uh, he's always stressed looking for this bill, this important piece of paperwork, this pen, this pair of glasses. Because he doesn't have any systems, everything's a mess, it's all cluttered, I can't, I can't work like that. I need to work in serenity, I need to have a clear desk. It gives me calmness. And, and ways I, I appreciate that but yeah. uh, you know I think calling it organized chaos I can put my hand to it etc is an excuse it is a bit of denial what do you think well I think it also depends on who you are because we all we're all very very different I mean I know you love your desk being absolutely clear and I actually have two folders on my desk that have everything in them that I'm working on at the moment and I have piles of paper around but Everything has a reason for being. For example, this is, you know, one recording I'm doing today, I'm doing two others. Yeah. So those presentations are sitting on my desk and they're sitting ready to go. And obviously if they weren't there, then I'd be stressed in looking for them. Yeah. 
Um, so I think in some ways, you know, it might be called organized chaos, but as long as I think you can put your hand on what you're looking for immediately, then there is a bit of structure in what you've got. I think, I think the challenge is, you know, if you, if you go into, I mean, the classic example I can think of is if you open a wardrobe door and you actually can't see space between those art, those items of clothing, Mm Ask yourself, when are you ever going to wear them all? Yeah. And I learned the lesson when I moved out to, to Madeira and even more so when I moved to central France because they're diff- completely different environments. I don't need the business suits. I mean, living mm. in the middle of, of Kent in the UK, yeah, I still went to networking events and I still went to this and I still went to that. But I haven't worn a business suit in four years. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went upstairs the other day um, because I was actually asked to go and do a formal presentation um, later this year, looking to see if I still had a business suit, and I've kept two. But actually mm. moving across to Madeira made me think about it. You know, this is a holiday island, and as much mm. as, yes, I was going to go and meet formal people and I was going to go and do some work there, um, I didn't need this, the 10 suits that were in my wardrobe, so I selected two of the more practical ones and actually sold the rest off. Um, you know, and gave them to to a charity shop to to yeah. sell. Um, but you know, I go back into my wardrobe, and I know we had this conversation the other day. And of course, I'd bought a whole load of clothes for moving to the island. Oh, yeah, the jumpers. <laughs> my jumpers. Um, and having brought them all together and actually unpacked cases and boxes and things, having moved back over to France and moved back to the mainland. Um, yeah, I discovered, you know, having three wardrobes, which is what I had for a period of time. Of course, I duplicated and triplicated what I got. But the nice thing is that I've recognized, and Dawn, I know we discussed it in, in great depth at one time, that a lot of those jumpers will last a season. They won't last any longer, you know, because mm-hmm. they're not expensive jumpers. They're beautiful and they're well-knitted, but the wool isn't the top quality. And that's mm-hmm. fine because they'll last mm-hmm. a season and then yeah. I'm going to recycle them. Yeah. And that actually is in process. You'll be really proud of me. It's in process right now. Good, good. But I'm somebody who, I, I have to admit, Barbara, um, things being cluttered stresses me out and will keep me awake at night. I will literally lie there for hours at night, and I have been known to get up in the night and do it there and then because I cannot stand it any longer, is declutter a cupboard. Um, because... Yeah, it just freaks me out I, and keeps me awake. It's I have to keep everything. And I think that probably is partly to do with being a forces child and moving around and then a boarding school child. I was used to coming home, finding that we had moved. All the stuff that I had in my bedroom had gone. My parents had given away my toys, my books, whatever I was attached to. So I, I kind of got used to not being terribly attached to everything. We had a flood that destroyed lots of stuff and all our photographs. So my parents are very simplistic, I suppose, in their philosophy and unmaterialistic, although we've always bought a lot of stuff, we've always recycled it on a regular basis. So the attachment isn't so strong. And I notice as I'm getting older, it's getting less and less. And I suppose the last big thing for me was my books. I had thousands of books. I mean, that's what, when we moved here 11 years ago, the, 
that the removers just couldn't believe they had 80 boxes of books. Um, and then about four years ago, I took probably 40% to Oxfam. And they just could not believe that I was giving away that many books. And the, a lot of the books I'd never read. But my lunchtime therapy when I was working corporately, my retail therapy was to go to bookshops. And I'd buy books and think, yes, one day I'll learn about pneumology. One day I'll learn about color therapy, astrology, or whatever. I'd buy beautiful books and think, one day I'm going to sit and learn about this. And then I thought, you know, I've come to France where they say you're never going to have more time on your hands when you've left the corporate world. We've never been so busy. I have less time to read. No, I'm giving them away. And it was so, so liberating. Uh, I can be a bit too brutal. I know I read a postcard, I shred it. Whereas my husband will get a letter and he'll put it back in the envelope and then it will be on his desk for months and then it will be in a drawer. Um, so occasionally I'll think, oh, where was that? I wish I'd kept that. I can't find the address or whatever. Um, but honestly, decluttering is something that keeps me stressed and awake. Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm the opposite. I mean, I'm, you know, I've got family heirlooms that have been handed down to me from previous generations um, with the understanding that I'll hand them down to the next generation. And there's a lot of discussion going on in the family as to what you do with that sort of stuff, because that's not only got a meaning to you, it's got a meaning to the whole family. Um, so I'm opposite to you. My, my policy is as long as it goes in the cupboard and I can close the doors, I'm a happy person because it's tidy and we don't have to worry about it. Um, and I don't like my cupboards being over full. You know, it has to fit in. It has to go somewhere. It has to be there. And, th and that's fine. Um, I'm not a great one, though, for opening the cupboards, Dawn, sorry, and decluttering them. And I know you're not coming to my house to do that either. I'm not letting you into the cupboards. I'm going to find a key for everyone next time you visit. But, you know, one of the things that I was I was told, and this was, this was something um, I think my grandmother told me maybe, was when she left Aberdeen and, and moved out to Rhodesia, or southern Rhodesia it was in those days, you know, she had to come, they had to go by boat. They only had a couple of trunks. They couldn't take a lot of stuff. And, you know, she'd had a beautiful home in, in Aberdeen and loads of stuff in it, as, as people did, and they collected in those days. And, of course, in, you know, in the pre-war days, a lot of stuff was collected and, and ornaments were fantastic. And, you know, everybody wanted everything. And, of course, they stopped on the islands and they stopped in places and they bought more. And I can remember saying to, her saying to me, I think when I first moved, the very first home I ever had, and obviously in the middle of, of Africa, and when I, I moved into a flat, and she said to me, only take what you need to take. Don't take everything you want to take. And when my parents then eventually left Malawi and went to Australia, my mother said to me, what do you want me to do with all these toys of yours, you know, childhood toys? Mm -hmm. And again, we look back over some of them, and, and it's memories, you know, and it's very hard to throw away things that you are actually attached to but my grandmother actually said to me and she taught me years ago the art of visualization mm. and I think it's something that we don't do and we don't do enough of and she suggested that if you were looking at a space so she took her, her living room in this flat she had in in Salisbury and she said I can't remember where we were sitting. She said, visualize my living room. What's in it? 
And I couldn't. I couldn't picture everything in that room. Yeah. And she could. And she could tell me why it was there, where it had come from, who had given it to her or, you know, whatever. Um, and her policy was actually quite an interesting one because she um, she said, now visualize that room with only the things in it that you need, not that you want, but that you need. Mm-hmm. And it was in the days when color television was in Southern Rhodesia, but it wasn't actually in anywhere else in, in Africa. Uh, sorry, black and white television. Uh, and I said to her, we don't need television because mm-hmm. we never had it in Malawi. And mm-hmm. she said, you may not, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went round everything she talked about and we talked about whether she needed it or not. And there were some mm-hmm. things she admitted she kept because she wanted them. But mm-hmm. she said uh, a few years later, it was about 10 years later, when she was moving into a retirement home, and I went to see her and I looked around the living room, which obviously was a lot smaller than the one she'd had in her flat. And I said to her, I see you've brought everything you need. What happened to the wants? Mm. And she said, I'm really, I've always been clear. This is what I need. And the wants mm. are nice to have. And it was yeah, great. Well, said you've got to have stuff that you believe is beautiful as well as useful so there's that balance isn't there absolutely absolutely so you know she was great because she taught me how to truly visualize and the visualization exercise that I think is hugely beneficial to people if they would only sit down quietly and do it is to sit in a quiet Mm. space with a blank sheet of paper and visualize that area you want to declutter and visualize it with only what you need in it Mm. and write down what you haven't included in your visualization because that's the stuff you need to start decluttering yeah and for people who uh the thought of decluttering people who are hoarders people like my husband who keeps every little bit of string and paper clip and all the bits and pieces, and quite often, I have to be honest, he, he does recycle and find a use for it eventually. Um, but for all the people who, you know, find a room too overwhelming to contemplate, just start with a drawer or yeah. uh, a cupboard. But just, uh, I have, I try and have fun with it as well. You know, there's no reason why you can't have a, a party. Get Get your girlfriends around have a glass of wine and go through your wardrobe and even swap with each other certain things, go around each other's houses and, you know, just try not to refill your wardrobe with their old stuff. But um, get some help and make it fun. But when you do declutter, you will free up your mind. Uh, And we're talking about physical clutter here, but also there's the mental clutter, isn't there, Barbara? You know, people who've got decisions to make. If you can't make decisions, that's just cluttering your mind, and it's it's paralyzing a lot of people. So, you know, even just writing down what are the decisions that you're not making. It, for some people, it might be what what is the the brown envelope with a, a bill in that you've got on the mantelpiece, you know, that you're putting off. All of that is negative clutter. So write it all down and take baby steps and deal with one thing at a time make it work for you because the benefits are huge aren't they well I'm going to offer everyone who's listening to this an opportunity I'm going to offer them the opportunity Dawn to work with with one of us Uh 
even though we don't have to be in their physical space, yeah, we, we can, can actually we can do it over Skype, we can do it by telephone, we can do it by mobile phone, whichever way is works. But you know, often it it can help by wor working with somebody who's completely unattached to anything. You know, which yeah. coaches are. We're not attached to what's happening. We're not attached to the outcome of it. And yeah. actually, you know, give us a call or drop us an email. Um, my email address is barbara at nyasa, N-Y-A-S-A dot biz. And dawn is dawn at holistichealthcoach.eu. Drop us an email and ask us to help you because we'd be delighted to help you with the decluttering. We have different ways of doing it. Dawn, I, I will always call her the queen of decluttering. I think she's brilliant. I think she does it so so beautifully and so well. I'm not as good as her, um, but I do have experience of, of decluttering. I do have experience of moving uh, and having to. And, um, you know, when you live out of a suitcase, which I did for many of my corporate years traveling as I did, you know, you really do learn how to, to, to live with the, the minimum that you need to have. Give us a call. Let us help you out because realistically we can help you one step at a time and we don't have to be there for every declutter you do, but we can support you in all of that you do. Yeah, and we can build in some accountability um, that things have actually happened and help you find more happiness because happiness is that place between having too much and too little. So we'll help you find just the right amount that works for you because everybody is different. Absolutely. And, and as I say, it's, it's often working with or talking to somebody who has nothing to gain by that conversation that will mm. really help you make that right decision. Mm. And we won't judge anything and we won't judge, you know, the conversation or what you've got or what you're thinking of getting rid of. We're there to support and to help. So unusually, because we're often recommending um, a book to read or something like that, today I'm going to give you the offer of talking to one of us. And, mm -hmm. you know, we can, we can actually help you move yourself forward into that space you want to be living in. Mm. Yeah, because at the end of the day, things are just things. Yep. Uh, that's the important thing to remember. They're just things, and none of us need them. What we need is experience. We need memories. We need time to be free. Because let's face it, the more stuff we own, the more stressed we become. Not only does it cost more to keep buying stuff, we've got to insure stuff. We've got responsibility to look after stuff. We have this territorial, uh, this is my stuff type of thing. We get stressed when it then gets broken, lost, stolen, whatever. So start freeing yourself up from this and do Barbara's visualization exercise of what is it that you actually need. You know, that balance between stuff that is useful and beautiful. You're always yep. going to want some stuff around you. But um, get rid of this um, attitude of, you know, fill the amount of space that you've got. And um, <clears throat> that will increase your happiness and free up the mental space for what you want to do. Because retail therapy is no replacement for freedom, fresh air, activity, memories, and other stuff like that. And it's, to be fair, clutter, clutter around you is no, um, no support of making decisions and of creativity. 
because if you're sitting in a cluttered room with a cluttered desk, where mm. are you actually going to quietly think through anything mm. you want to try and think through? Where are you going to become creative? So mm. you need to be able to clear your desk, which is actually the reason I have two files on my desk, because everything I'm working on, all the businesses I'm working with, all the projects I'm working on, are filed away in those files. Mm. You know, so I can pick up the file and open it up to the right page. But mm -hmm. equally so, I do understand Robert's process of keeping that piece of string and keeping that paper clip. But again, I have somewhere that they go. So they go to that space and if somebody wants them, they know where they are. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's finding a way that works for each person individually. Mm -hmm. And Dawn and I are really great friends and we're so polar opposites in a lot of things. So, you know, we're both here to help and there's nothing stopping you calling both of us to get a different idea of how to help you. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't mind. The, the, the fact that, um, you know, statistically, we know that lottery winners who suddenly have unlimited wealth to buy all the stuff they've ever thought would bring them happiness, and yet they've got such high levels of suicide, going bankrupt in five years, etc., etc., or, or just giving it away because they've realized the burden of it is kind of proof, Barbara, that, yeah. you know, go back to the wheel, that there are so many areas of our life that need decluttering. We think it would all be lovely to have this money and, and go mad, and maybe it is for a little while. But if we haven't got that peace and calmness in our mind, if our bedroom is so cluttered we can't sleep, if we're shoving stuff into the car, the, the loft, the garage, the shed, whatever, um, you know, all these areas are spilling out into our lives. And of course, they can affect our relationships as well because not every relationship is a, a good, healthy, nurturing relationship. So there's lots of areas, um, as you say, we both complement each other to support our clients, get the life, the more simplistic, happier life that they're looking for. So there's lots of different areas you can declutter and look at our website to work through your wheel, uh, but do it in baby steps, make it fun. And um, just building that accountability through letting us know how you're doing, and we'll support you. Um, Absolutely. Else to add before we close for today, Barbara. Well, I don't think so. I think that um, you know we could go on for hours on this, Dawn, like yeah. all the topics and conversations Perfect. we have. Noted um, as well, isn't it? <laughs> but we're coming to an end of this show, so thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Next month, we're going to be talking about spiritual. Now, spiritual means something different to everyone, absolutely everyone, and we recognize that. And in our show, we're going to explore the different meanings. Things like, um, I know Dawn's very hot on you know, meditation, not medication. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be talking to you a lot more about your, you know, your mind-body-spirit connection with your universal thought processes and things like that. So come and join us to learn how understanding your own spiritual side can provide you with your own huge benefits. So that's our June show. Again, it's the fourth Saturday of the month at 7 a.m. UK time. And we look forward to talking to you then. So yeah. thank you from me and goodbye. Thank you.